You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast. If you were to go back in time during the Passion Week in the first century, you might have heard something like this. Surely, that can't be Messiah, that that bloodied has-been that's hanging on that cross. That couldn't be the one that we've waited for. We, we thought he was going to come and do some business with the Romans, maybe even lead some kind of an uprising. But instead, what did we get? Some crazy, blaspheming fool. What a failure. Or so they thought. Because what most people didn't understand is that Jesus didn't come to rescue them from Roman oppression. Jesus came to save their souls. He came to save them from sin and death. And that same dynamic is at work today. Jesus didn't come to rule over culture. He didn't come to overthrow Washington, D.C. He didn't come to build an evangelical empire. He came to save souls. He came to save you and save me from the ravages of sin. And so as we enter this Passion Week, and we begin this morning with Palm Sunday, as we call it now, I don't want you to leave without asking a question about your expectations of Jesus. Who is he to you? Is he a political figure that you want to transform our political system? Is he a lifestyle that you like? You enjoy being at church, you enjoy having Christian friends, you like that your kids are in with other Christians? Or is he the king? the Lord of the universe, and the one that you bow to. Is that who Jesus is to you? Because if you answer yes to that last quote, then you will be rescued, you will be reconciled, you will have a new life. And that's what I want for you. I want you to meet Jesus because he is the way to be saved. And so I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, and we're going to look at a very familiar Palm Sunday passage, but I want to direct you to some of the dynamics that are going on here that will help you understand more about Jesus. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1. And if you want to grab that Bible in the rack in front of you, you can turn to page 826, or you can just use your Ridgewood app and touch media, go to study guides, and then find today's date. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1. So here, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. Now, he's been there before, but this is different. He's arriving to introduce himself. But is he introducing himself as a Roman conqueror? No. Is he introducing himself as a political figure? No. Or a warrior? No. He's introducing himself as the king of the universe that can save us from sin and reconcile us to God. So as we read, notice how difficult it was 
for people in Jerusalem to get a hold of this truth. Some loved him, some hated him, some were afraid of him, but the truth of the matter is Jesus came to save. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So Jesus is coming now to introduce himself. He has the authority of kingship, and so he's offering himself as the king. But the problem was where he was born, how he did his ministry, these were problems for people because he didn't look at all like Messiah was supposed to look. He didn't look like those Jewish religious leaders. But we see here in verse 1 that he approaches Jerusalem from the side of Jericho kind of comes up the hill and now is at Bethpage near the Mount of Olives and he's looking over the temple area. And then his announcement of kingship comes quickly in verses 2 and 3. Go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them. And then he'll send them at once. He is the Lord. He's got this thing down. He knows what's going to happen. He's exhibiting and claiming kingship. And then in 4 and 5, that features a direct quote from Zechariah 9.9. And I think it's worth noting that elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus is always walking here. He's riding, but it's not on a war horse. It's not on a big kingly horse. It's on a donkey. And he's signaling peace. He's signaling, I'm coming in humility. But, just like today, he was a polarizing figure. And here's what was happening in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was divided regarding the identity of Jesus. There were two sides and Jesus was cutting in the middle. Now, one thing that's important to understand about Jerusalem, and if you've ever visited the old city, it's not very big. It's pretty easy just to walk through the different corridors 
and it's not a large area. And on a normal day, Jerusalem was probably about 20,000 people. So Minnetonka is about 50,000, so you can get a little bit of an idea. Normal business, 20,000. But on the feast times, like this is Passover now, it swelled to somewhere around 200,000 to a million people. And so the place was a hotbed. There was already tension. The Romans were ruling. The zealots hated them. Here comes this king, supposed king, and you had something ripe for chaos. That's why Pontius Pilate, who appears in the Passion story, was likely in town because he knew the threat during these feast days. And so the backdrop of this entrance is that Jerusalem is broiling. It is about ready to explode. Now, when Jesus arrives, he arrives in a place called Bethpage. And in this place, the the crowd was for him. This is the area of town that, you know, this is his kind of territory here. The people lining the roads, they were pronouncing that he was the great prophet, though I don't really think they even understand what that means. So when Jesus arrives on the scene, this is what he would have seen at least gives you an idea of what he might have seen. He would have looked down from the Mount of Olives and he would have seen the city of Jerusalem. This, of course, is the Dome of the Rock where the temple once stood. And so Jesus would have come and he would have looked over that city. And his intent was to proclaim his kingship over Israel as the king of the world. But he knew there would be rejection as part of this. And then just to give you an idea of, of, of what this trail was like, this is a, a picture of the pilgrims that come and visit there. You can walk down from the Mount of Olives, down this really steep, winding road, all the way down here into the Kidron Valley, up the hill, and into Jerusalem. So you can just imagine thousands of people lining a, a road that was this steep, on a donkey, they're, they're coming before him and behind him, and they're laying their cloaks down. They're laying their branches down as they would for a victorious king. This is the kind of atmosphere that was happening there. This part of town loved Jesus. They, they, they were all about Jesus, and, and they were singing. In, in verse 9, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we use children on Palm Sunday because verse 15 tells us that children were singing too. But these are words from Psalm 118, 26. But specifically to Jesus, the words were Hosanna to the Son of David, which means Messiah, the one who came from David's seed. Hosanna is from the Hebrew, save us, we pray. These words are a petition and praise. They're saying, Will you please save us from the Romans? These cruel oppressors. But Jesus came to save their souls because he's the way to be saved. And the crowd didn't understand that significance, but they were for him. So you had this dynamic going on. But then, around the rest of Jerusalem, you had another dynamic going on. Others were completely skeptical, including the religious leaders who were afraid because they saw this dynamic happening. And my guess, no matter where you were in Jerusalem, you heard the crowds. It's kind of like when you're watching the Masters. Don't watch the Masters right now on your phones. It's not godly. 
and, and somebody's putting, and you can, hear the, you can hear the cheering from the other side of the course. So the leaders were probably hearing this, and they're going like, uh-oh. And Pilate had to be asking, is this an uprising? Jesus was creating this kind of dynamic. If you look at verse, verses 10 and 11, you see this kind of polarization. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And you see, this is what the whole week would be like. It would be one side saying, you are our king, and one side saying, crucify him. And it happened quickly. It won't be long till we're back here on Friday. Today we're celebrating with palm branches. On Friday we're going to be celebrating a crucifixion. It didn't take very long. But this is what our world is like. We, we are in a war. That's what I loved about what David Pierce talked about, this idea of being a soldier because there's a war going on. And every day we're out there and, and we, we experience this polarization. We experience this hotbed. It feels like a battering ram is hammering at our faith all the time. And people are laughing at us, and they're being cynical about our faith. And, and, and we feel sometimes like, wow, like, do I really believe the right things? Because it seems so out of step. And, they're, and they're, they're looking at us like, how could you possibly believe that Jesus is the way to be saved? That's crazy. You're a bigot. And we say, this is what we believe. And you know what? I want to tell you this morning, you don't have to be intimidated. You don't need to be intimidated because the, those that are the intelligencers of the world, the, the, the smart people with all the degrees, they don't really have as much information as God. You don't have to be intimidated. Jerusalem was chaotic. Our culture is chaotic. And when we're trying to navigate through in our faith, we can just look at the cynics and say, wow, we're crazy. I mean, you look at what Carl Sagan said, one of the great detractors of the faith. You can't convince a believer of anything, for their belief is not based on evidence. It's based on a deep-seated need to believe. So what he's saying is there's no really truth there. They just need to believe in something. So they choose to believe in Christianity. And I would say this is largely what culture thinks about our faith. And it's easy to look at that and say, wow, I better start like rethinking this because if I'm that far out of step, well, let me tell you something. By the time this week ends, Jesus is going to be pretty far out of step with everyone. But he was still right. And it was still truth. And here's a verse that I think will help you not to be intimidated. 1 Corinthians 1.19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. I love that verse, because it reminds me that if the Bible says it's true, I can put my stake down and say, yes, I'm going to believe this, even if everyone else thinks I'm crazy, because I believe this to be the truth. 
So you had the skeptics, you had the friends, you had these people from Galilee that had seen Jesus out on the hillsides, they were cheering him on. You had these people in Jerusalem that didn't see him very often, so they were skeptical. The Jewish leaders were afraid. But the people here lining the road called him a prophet. And what they meant by prophet is that he, they believed he was the one sent by Moses, and they were using this prophecy right here in the book of Deuteronomy to help their case. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And so they believed that this was the guy. But the problem, again, would be as the going got tough, they would all disappear. And so Jesus is the great dividing line. Either you believe in Jesus or you don't. Either you're in or you're out. It's not enough to believe in a higher power. It's not enough to believe in God. I love that when you, know, you, you come across an article and it's like, so-and-so is talking about their faith, and you're kind of excited, like, well, this will be interesting. And, and you go to the article, and it's like, as deep as you get is, man, I love, I love the fact that there's a God. That's not faith. That's stupid. Faith is about Jesus. And it's only about Jesus. So, don't talk about faith unless Jesus is involved because he's the way, the truth, and the life. So what you have here is this incredible dynamic going on in the seething city of Jerusalem. But Jesus knew that they were going to reject him. And Jesus deeply felt that pain of rejection. He deeply felt this. If you think that God is detached and doesn't feel, doesn't care, this is something that will prove you wrong. If you go to Luke, you see that Jesus was distraught over the fact that people couldn't see him, though he was right here. And when he drew near to the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes right before their very eyes and they couldn't see him listen don't make that same mistake Jesus is right before your eyes but maybe you've spent all this time denying him maybe you've been a skeptic but you see him working in other people you just saw David talk about a healing story on the video that's not accidental that's Jesus at work don't miss him these people that were lining the road, they saw it for a moment, but many of them would run away. People in Jerusalem were skeptical. They didn't believe in him. And I want you to believe in him. So let's personalize this. And, and let's talk about Jesus came to save Israel, but what about me? And it's true. The context here is specifically Israel. Jesus is coming. He's announcing the fact that he's the king of his people. But he's there to do much more than that. He's there to pronounce himself the king of the universe. He's there to die for sin. He's there to rise again. But this is about Israel. But in our context, how does this affect us? What does this mean to us? What it means is, is that Jesus can save you. And I want to tell you what he can save you from. The first thing that Jesus can save you from is hopelessness. It's hopelessness. 
this country has descended into hopelessness. People are moving through life like it's drudgery. The CDC came out with statistics recently that talked about suicide rates doubling in this decade from the decade before. It's the highest suicide rate we've had in 50 years. And if you go to rural communities, it's even 30% higher, which is one of the reasons we have our eyes on rural communities to revitalize and plant churches. Because pretty much any bad statistic you could find is triple in a rural community. So what do we do when we are faced with hopelessness? Do we, do we seek out individuals to have relationship? Do we, do we find a church? What do we do? No. We jump on social media and we pretend that we're connected. So we numb our pain. We get entertained. We're on Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat. And we think that, well, now I'm connected to the... No, you're not connected. We're not connected. We're falling into hopelessness. But Jesus came to save us from hopelessness. And, and this passage is great, 2 Corinthians 4. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are, uh, are seen are transient. They're temporal. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Keep your faith. What you can't see is what you need to have faith in. Jesus came to save you from hopelessness. He can give you a new life. Secondly, Jesus came to save you from your past. There's, there's so many people that are dragging around their past. And there's so many things all of us can look back on and say, Oh, foolish. Or really worse words than that, you know? But Jesus came to release you from that. We had a chance yesterday with the guys from the church to uh, go over to uh, a citywide thing called Arise with the Guys. And it was this uh, meeting of several thousand men. It was hosted by Tony Dungy, the famous football coach, who's a, just a, a fantastic Christian man. And we heard testimony for, from, from athletes and so forth. But for me, the one that got to me the most, that had the biggest impact, was a guy maybe that you don't even know. His name is Bill Butters. And I'm a little biased because Bill Butters played for the Minnesota North Stars back before the Wild. And when I started my broadcast career, I was a game night intern with the North Stars. And so I watched Billy Butters play. And then when he came to know Christ, he came to my home church and he attended there. So some of my family members are friends with Billy. But he gave this remarkable testimony about his past and who he is today. And while he was playing hockey, he said, I was a liar, I cheated on my wife, and I was a drunk. And he calls himself, that's the despicable Bill Butters. And then he said, I came to know Christ, and I went home and I told my wife who'd been praying for me, and I said, honey, I just accepted Christ. And she said, great. He said, that's the good news. Now, here's the bad news. And he sat her down and he told her everything he'd done, the double life he'd been living. And in his words, he said, she wept bitterly for a long time. 
But then finally, she reached out her hand and said, let's rebuild our marriage on Christ. Now, Bill Butters could have let his past totally define him because it's an ugly past. He said, I couldn't, I couldn't skate, I couldn't shoot, I couldn't do anything. All I could do is fight. Probably not fair. You don't play in the National Hockey League unless you can do something well. But he didn't let the past define him. And what he's doing instead is he's taking that past and he's being honest about it and he's talking straight to guys and he's changing lives through the glory of God. That's what Jesus can do in your life. He can take all of that wreckage and and weave it into this beautiful fabric that you'll never recognize unless you give your life to him. This verse helps us understand that we can have new life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so you don't have to live in resentment and bitterness and shame and anger. You can give your life to Christ. You can invite him as your personal savior into your life and you can move out of hopelessness and move out of your past into a new life. And then finally, most importantly, Jesus can save you from the ravages of sin. And this, of course, is the most important thing I want to leave you with today. What's so disappointing and frustrating about the Lord's entrance into Jerusalem in this passage is that His message of new life was rejected by almost everyone. No wonder He wept. He came to save, and he's come to save you, and he's come to save me. But many of us have rejected him. And I want you to know this morning that without Jesus, you are cut off from God. Isaiah 59.2 tells us this very clearly, that your iniquities, your sin, your Bill Butter's past, your despicable behavior have have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That doesn't mean he's not going to hear you if you come to him and admit that you're a sinner and receive him as your savior, but what it does mean is that you are cut off from him. It means that if you don't deal with that, that 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 lack of relationship will end in sin and death and eternal separation from God and conscious torment. But you can change that this morning. And it's not really that difficult. In Romans, Paul lays out the plan. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. What a perfect Easter idea. And so this morning, I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to, in your heart, to understand who Jesus really is. You know, for some he probably just seemed like a total failure. I mean, who was really left at the cross? It was his mother. It was Mary Magdalene. It was John. Peter might have been somewhere back in the shadows. And that was it. And they were probably looking at him saying, oh, Messiah, are you kidding? But what was really happening is that Jesus was dying purposely so that he could pay the penalty for our sin. So that if we admit we are a sinner and we ask him to come into our life as Lord and Savior, we will be saved because Jesus is the way to be 
saved. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision. So I'm going to give you just a couple of moments of quiet. And if you would like to admit to Jesus that you need him, that you know that you're the Bill Butters person, and that you've sinned, maybe not to that extent, doesn't matter, and then you can say to him, would you please be my God and be my Lord and come into my life. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to say that in your spirit. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.